Good evening, everybody. If you have a Bible tonight, go to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation 10, please. That's where we'll be this evening. I had trouble getting the handout printed, so my apologies for that. But we will just follow along. We'll try to look at Revelation 10 and 11 tonight as we continue verse by verse through the book of Revelation. We'll be halfway done by the time we finish this evening. So let's just remind ourselves where we've come from in the study. We're in the middle of looking at the, well, we looked at the seals and all the seals being opened, and then that led us to the trumpets, uh, the trumpet judgments. That's what we looked at. We really left off with two themes. A few weeks ago, we saw that there was a redeemed people in the midst of all of this judgment that is to come in the world. And we saw the 144,000 witnesses and the fact that God has always had a remnant people. And in these last days that are predicted in the book of Revelation, he would also have a remnant people. But then last week we saw these judgments unfold and we saw a different group. We saw the complete opposite, the people that despite all of the judgment that they were seeing, and we saw some pretty, pretty difficult uh, judgments that were described. And despite all of that, we we saw that they would not repent. And that was the story of, on the one hand, we saw the one who would be redeemed in, during this time predicted, but then the other group, unfortunately the larger group, who would not repent. And so we, we spoke a little bit about that. But now we come to chapter 10 and chapter 11, and this is sort of what you would refer to as parenthetical. In other words, for just a moment, um, we're going to pick up the, uh, the, the trumpets. We haven't seen the last trumpet. The seventh trumpet has not sounded. The sixth trumpet sounded, but now in chapter 10 and in chapter 11, um, and then also chapter 12, 13, 14, uh, 15, it's not until chapter 16 that we pick up the progressive judgment. So we look at some parenthetical information. It's really interesting. So with that being said, let's go and look at chapter 10, verse number one. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. Now there's some discussion about who this angel is. And we know that this is someone sent down from God. I think most likely this is, uh, this is a chief angel. It could be the angel, uh, the archangel Michael. But we're not given the true identity of, of the exact identity of who this is. But he's clothed with a cloud. Clouds often signify the presence and the power of God. So he's coming with the authority of Almighty God. There's a rainbow on his head, his face as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. So something has been revealed. So what you're going to see tonight, and we'll see this in a couple of instances, is these are announcements that the world is preparing for its rightful king. And the language that you're seeing here brings us back to what we saw in 
Chapter number five, around the throne room of God, the idea of thunders and lightnings, the, the idea of this, this rainbow and the cloud. So what we're, the theme that, uh, that I want you to see is that it, in the middle of all of this judgment, in the middle of everything that's going on, this little parenthetical section is reminding us that heaven is preparing to bring about the true and eternal kingdom. And so this angel symbolizes, he's got some book, and he comes down with this book in a very, uh, in a very magnificent way. Re- remember, think of the authority pictures here. His right, foot is, his right foot is on the sea, his left foot is on the earth. And then he cries, and when he cries, there's these seven thundering voices. And they reveal something. But strange, this strange happening is what takes place next. And it says in verse number four, John says, I was about to write. I mean, up until now, he's been writing everything that he's seen and heard. But for some reason, a voice from heaven said to him, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. It's interesting. We don't know that something happens. We don't know what it is. And I, so why even put that there? I, I don't know. We would have to only surmise. But I think one of the things that we learn from this is that God has revealed to us all that He, that all that we need to know. Right. But there is so much more in God's plan that he has not revealed to us. And this is just a reminder of of that, that we don't see the whole picture. And even someone like the Apostle John, who got to see more of the picture than we do, he doesn't have the whole picture, but he got a a bit further of a glimpse than us. But we don't always know what God is doing, what God is working. And I think that this is given to us just as a little reminder of that, that God God's plan is greater. Well, we come now to verse number five. So we don't know what this message was, but let's keep the theme going. Verse five, and the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things there uh, therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein. We're reminded that God is the creator of this earth, this earth that's going to be uh, going to be destroyed and recreated. The, the, the new kingdom's going to be coming, a new heaven and new earth. This angel is reminding us as he swears, he makes this oath and he swears by the creator of all that is, that there should be time no longer. Verse number six, you notice that statement that there should be time no longer. Now, that's an important phrase because it can be, based on the way that it's translated, I think it can be a little bit misunderstood. Um, You may think that what's being said there is that it's an end of time as we know it. How many of you read that? And that's, it kind of looks like that, right? Like there should be time no longer. In other words, all right, time has ended. Now, of course, we know that there is coming a day when that's going to happen, that time as we know it will end. But that's actually not what this means. What it is, is when he says that uh, in in the statement um, that there should be time no longer, it means that the time we're not waiting any longer. There's no more delay. There's no more time yet to happen. 
Does that make sense? You see that? And so you'll find this often translated that he said there should be no more delay. It's a little bit easier for us to understand it that way. But it, it's, it can read the same way even as it is translated. But just that's important because I got to be honest with you, the first time I read that, what I came away with was, well, he's saying this is the end of time. But when you look at it, it's actually a little bit different. And he's saying that time's up. No more delay. God is about to do what has been predicted. Remember, we're talking about preparing for the kingdom, preparing for all this to take place. Now look at this. Now it, it kind of links. There should be time no longer. In other words, we're not going to wait any longer for what? Well, look at verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, that's when that seventh trumpet sounds, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So what do you so help me out here? Somebody, let's get let's get the group engaged a little bit tonight. What is what's being said here in verse seven? Uh, or rather, the end of verse six and in verse number seven. How do you understand? How would you understand what's what this message is? Time shall be no longer, and when there should be time no longer, and when this seventh angel sounds, when that seventh trumpet begins to sound, the mystery is finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. What? Somebody give me a paraphrase of that. Well, what do you think is being said there? Who wants to take a stab at it? Anybody? Okay, we're going to understand God's plan. I think that's, yeah, I think that is accurate. I think there's a little more we could add to that, but that's for sure there. What else is, is happening, is being explained here? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So what's so that, that's a that's a good way to put it. So what's happening is this: all of the prophecies, all of the things that were in the word is mystery, right? The things that the prophets have written about for years, the things that we have uh, the, the, it buried in the Old Testament, partially revealed in Christ, partially revealed in the apostles. Time is no more. It's we're not waiting any longer. Everything is going to be revealed right now. This. So what he's saying is. So we should understand the seventh trumpet, when that seventh trumpet sounds, it's initiating the very end. Everything's going to happen rapidly once that takes place. And that's when we see the vile, the bold judgments, and, and hastening toward the final battle of Armageddon. But that statement is this. There's no more delay. Everything the prophets have predicted is about to come to pass. We'll understand it all. Make sense? Okay. So let's see what happens next. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This can be interpreted multiple ways. I, to me, one of the ideas here is this, that there is a sweetness to the coming of 
the, the finality of everything, that God's kingdom will finally come. But there are many bitter things that are going to have to take place in order for that to be accomplished. Anybody have a different uh, application of that or another, another thought on that? I mean, that's pretty basic right, right there. And the Bible actually doesn't tell us explicitly what the significance of the sweet and bitter was. All right. Let's move on. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God. Okay, this makes sense. If you think about the theme that I introduced at the beginning, the, this parenthetical section here, chapter 10 and 11, is pointing us to a culmination. We've stepped aside from the chronology of of seals and trumpets and all of that. And we've just taken a step back and got a new vision, a little bit new perspective that says, hey, this is it. We're, by the way, everything you're seeing, we're moving toward this coming kingdom. And what is significant here is that we see in verse number 11, the presence of what structure? What do we see in verse 11 here? The temple. We're here at the temple. And he says, in measure the temple. Now let's let's read a few verses to get a little context. So there's given me a reed like unto a rod, and the this would be a measuring reed. So it's a a stick that you know. Let's just for our for our benefit, let's say he's given a yardstick, right? That's the idea. He's given this yardstick, and he says, "All right, go measure the temple. Measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein." So he's measuring the structure, and he's taking an account of the people who are there worshiping. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand and two hundred and threescore days. A thousand and two hundred and threescore days. Clothed in sackcloth. Now, tell me here quickly in verses one through three. So this temple, when you think about the temple, there's really two possibilities of where this measuring could be taking place. So somebody help me out here with where could this, what are the two possibilities of where this measurement could be taking place, this measuring of the temple? Any thoughts on that? What are the what are two possibilities here? Where could the temple be? Yeah? Okay, Jerusalem. And what's the other possibility? Correct. Could be heaven. So we could be talking about a heavenly temple. And some people that would want to look at this prophecy figuratively, if they want to look at it figuratively, they might say, well, this is, you know, this is a heavenly vision. Which do you think it is? Where do you think he's measuring right now? Anybody? What do you think? And why? Yeah, Mike. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're linking it back to chapter 10, where this whole scene takes place with an angel coming down. I think that's actually a good point. That I hadn't considered that. I think that's a very good point. Yeah, Frank? 
Yep. Right. Yeah, you're getting ahead of the story, but you're you're 100% right. So that's I, I think based on these pieces of evidence. Yeah, what were you guys add something to that? Mm-hmm. Right. Those kinds of events aren't going to happen in a heavenly Jerusalem, right? So the circumstances and the events surrounding what this temple, the, the events and circumstances surrounding the temple clearly identify this as an earthly physical location. So this should be understood literally as the temple in Jerusalem. Anybody see any problems with this? Or not problems, but difficulties, I should say? Anybody see any difficulties with what's being, uh, being prophesied right here? Could this happen tomorrow? No, why, why not? There's no temple. <laughs> there is no temple today in Jerusalem. It doesn't exist. It, it hasn't been there since AD 70 when Emperor Titus destroyed the temple. So there has been no temple in Jerusalem. So in order for the events, in order for these prophetic things to take place, there must be a temple in Jerusalem. The temple has to be rebuilt. Now, interestingly enough, if you go to Jerusalem, some of the ultra-Orthodox community have begun construction on furniture for the temple. They have every plan and design. Now, this isn't a plan of the official Israeli government, but they're, and in fact, you've got to understand, as you understand the nation of Israel today, it's a very secular nation. Israel, you know, as a, as a Christian in the United States, we often think of Israel in very biblical terms, but the nation of Israel today is a pre- predominantly secular nation, right? However, there is a community of very ultra-Orthodox, traditional Jewish people who behave very much like the Pharisees of old. They, they, they continue in that tradition. They are very similar to the Pharisees, but they are planning and they have construct, they have pieces of furniture they're working on because they have every intention of of occupying that temple mount again someday. The problem now is that it's a debated, uh, it's the Dome of the Rock, it's debated between the, uh, the Muslims and the Jews as to who should have control over that. So interestingly enough, it's my personal opinion, now I could be totally wrong on this, but it's my personal opinion, if you remember, we've studied this with Daniel's 70th week and the coming of the Antichrist, the Antichrist will confirm the covenant with many for one week, right? So the seven-year period begins with the Antichrist bringing people into harmony. I, I personally believe, and I could be wrong again, that part of that will be brokering a final deal between the Jews and the Palestinians to allow the construction of a temple. So at the beginning of what we know of as the tribulation period, that there will be the, a temple Constructed now, could it happen before that? Yes, of course it could. That's just purely speculation on my point. The point is this: for the first half of the tribulation, people will be worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. It's going to be happening. All of that is preparing for the, 
the true coming kingdom that we've been talking about tonight. So he says, go rise and measure it. Now, this is interesting. The building of the temple, the, the rebuild, whenever this happens, whether it happens in our lifetime, whether it happens after the rapture and the, during the, the Daniel's 70th week, whenever it happens, who will the people be who are building the temple? Will they be faithful believers? No, they will not be. They will not be faithful believers. They will be stuck in the old Judaic covenant that has been done away with. They will be the, the, as the Pharisees of old, and they will construct a temple. So what is the significance now of the angel coming down? So think about it. So what is the significance of the angel saying, go measure the temple and measure the people that are in the temple? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So what's the, so what could be the significance now of this? I think this is a cool picture. What do you measure? Do you go measure other people's stuff or your own stuff? I, I say what I think what's happening here. And I did some reading on this, and I just thought this was a great observation. I think what's happening here is this statement of you measure that temple, you measure that temple, you take an account of all the people that are in it. Why would you do that? Because who does that temple belong to? It belongs to the Lord. It's His. He's going to reclaim it. It belongs to Him. And even if those who built it are not properly honoring Him, remember, there's going to be 144,000. There's going to be... This is, this is part of the process of the King, the, true, the, the prophet, priest, and King, the Lord Jesus Christ, reclaiming that which is rightfully His. Go measure the temple. Measure the people that are in it. Take an account of it. It's his temple. Also, the measurements remind us of the Old Testament. Remember, all of God gave measurements for how the temple was to be constructed. This is all just bringing us back to this was his, according to his instruction. Again, this whole parenthetical section in Revelation, we're taking a break from the judgments, and we're, God's giving us a little different perspective on everything that's happening. Let's move on. So now there's two witnesses, as Frank mentioned. These two witnesses. Um, oh, well, we, we missed something. The holy city they shall tread underfoot. Where I'm at the end of I'm at the end of chapter number or verse number two. The holy city they shall tread underfoot for forty two months. Okay, a couple of questions about this. Forty two months. How long is that? Three and a half years. Do you remember at in um, where else have we heard about the events? Now, this is going several lessons back in our study. Where else have we heard about these events that are described where it says, so for three and a half years, they'll tread underfoot. For 42 months, they'll tread the holy city. That's Jerusalem underfoot. Where else were we reading about that in previous weeks? Who can give me some? Anybody can give me some of the passages where we were reading about that? Daniel chapter 9. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, but in the midst of the week, the abomination of desolation, in the midst of the week. Hey, the midst of the week is how many years? Three and a half. That's where we're at. The second half, the, the final three and a half years. Where else did we read about this? Anybody else? Where else? So we read about it in Daniel chapter 9. Where else was this spoken about? This is like the quiz portion. See how well we've been doing with the, with the study. Who else spoke about this? The treading of the city, 
underfoot. There was somebody significant who warned, when you see this take place, get out of Jerusalem. Get out of Jerusalem fast. Who said that? Jesus did. In Matthew 24, Jesus referenced this. So, so again, you've got to tie all this together. What is the significance? It could be as soon as three and a half years from today, this could take place, I believe. This could be all be taking pl- place as soon as three and a half years from today. There will be real people really living in Jerusalem, worshiping in Jerusalem. These things will happen, and they will have these scriptures. They will have the words of Jesus that say, hey, the city's going to be, uh, the city will be tread underfoot for three and a half years. When you see it happen, leave. So, Daniel wrote about it. Jesus spoke about it. Paul wrote about it. We saw in the books of First and Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians especially. So we, we've seen this the last few weeks. Now, as everybody flees, though, and we know that's going to happen, that the people of Israel, are, they're going to, many will follow that instruction, they're going to get out fast. What happens is God sends two witnesses to stay. But they're going to have special protection. And these two witnesses are bringing us way back. They are going to, they are going to function just like the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament. They really have that prophetic office and that prophetic power says in verse 3, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's one thousand two hundred and sixty days. You divide that by three hundred and sixty, and you get three and one half years. You say, well, shouldn't you divide it by three hundred and sixty-five? No, because they didn't use a solar calendar. They used a lunar calendar that's just a little extra tidbit that's why we that's why the dates aren't based on 365 days that's that came later 360 days is what we how we would understand this now let's think now let's look at these two witnesses these two prophets who will have a three and a half year prophetic ministry these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks. Now, the, you can read in, I think it might be in Zechariah, there were other prophets that were, this language was, they were described as two olive trees or two candlesticks. It's just symbolic. And the, the, the language that was used in the Old Testament to describe prophets is being used again here. And it says that they're untouchable. They're untouchable. If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, because they have these powers to make it not rain, and to turn water into blood and bring, bring plagues, some people have speculated that God has sent Moses and Elijah back. They also get this because of the Mount of Transfiguration as these individuals have appeared. So that's a, that's a possibility. Um, other people have suggested that perhaps this is Enoch and Elijah because they never have died. And 
And so God sends them back. All just speculation. All, we, all we're given is that these two men are called to be the, the prophets. They're the witnesses. And while they function as while God wants them to, they will have incredible power as the prophets of old did. But it, well, the power doesn't come from them. It comes from God. Because, verse 7, when they shall have finished their testimony... The beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So eventually God will say, all right, your work is finished. Your time is up and the enemy will come and will will defeat these men. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street, the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Whoa. Who, who, this, is, this is the prophet kind of throwing some shade on who here in verse number 8. You see what, what he just did in verse number 8? It's, it's a dig. It's a dig to who? Yeah, the unbelieving Jews. He's saying that your, your city that you're proud of, really because of the spiritual condition, we might as well call it Sodom. Or we might as well call it Egypt. In fact, this is the city where our Lord was crucified. Again, this is all setting up for the triumphant takeover. Remember, the kingdom is coming. This is the context of everything that we're seeing. The, the angel comes down, puts his, puts it with the authority of the creator, he puts his foot in the sea and his foot on the dry land. He announces that all the prophecies are coming to pass. Now it's zeroing in specifically on Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the holy city. Now... These men are killed. And, just, and, and how fitting, right? How fitting, because what was the story? J- Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. And they were reminded over and over again. Jesus reminded Jerusalem that they had killed the prophets of old. Stephen, in his sermon, said, You killed the prophets. And here it happens again in Jerusalem. But this time it's a little different. And they, verse 9, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry. Finally, these guys, boy, they hated these people, these truth tellers, these prophets were so hated that they declare a holiday. They send gifts to celebrate their death because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirits of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. And great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Interestingly enough, that you saw the notes about all of the nations seeing all of this. Up until modern times, that would not have been as possible as it is today. This was written in a time where there was no 
video communication. There was no ability to, uh, to, of mass media to see this. But here, uh, everyone will see this. And can you imagine in a modern era, tele- televised events of what's taking place where they celebrate these, these men who are dead? We can't really imagine that on television today. Uh, because our our culture isn't quite yet so vile. But in the time that is to come, remember that it's going to be the worst time the world has ever seen. People will be especially dark. And so all of the technology and everything that people have, will it, it will be fixated on evil. And, and these, these men, their death will be celebrated, but then the whole world will see this resurrection take place. But as soon as the resurrection of these men happens, verse 13, the same hour is a great earthquake. And the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men 7,000. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. I think what you see there is a group of still unredeemed, this is happening in Jerusalem. So my interpretation of what's happening, that remnant are, this is, God is, yes, being just and judging, but he's also redeeming those whose hearts have still not yet been turned. In his long-suffering nature, there were still some that up until this point had not repented, but God knew that they still would. And so he preserved them up until this point. And when they see this take place, this remnant now turns and gives glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And here it comes. Remember, I told you this was the theme. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Did you see how in these two chapters all of this has been brought together? Heaven... The presence of heaven has come down to earth. We've seen the, new, the, the, the current Jerusalem where things are in trouble, but then we're brought back up to the true new Jerusalem, which is in heaven. Again, this parenthesis here is given to us. Yes, these judgments are happening, but here's a vision of what is about to happen. Here's a vision of where this is all headed. The Jerusalem on earth will be judged, and the new Jerusalem from heaven eventually will be brought down to earth. That is Revelation chapter 10 and Revelation chapter 11. We covered a lot, but I like to, I like to see this in, in large movements and how it's all coming together. So thanks for sticking with me through the Bible study tonight. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll go to our prayer time.
Lord, thank you so much that we've had this time to study the Bible. And we thank you, Lord, that there is a great day coming. Lord, we thank you that um, as we look around and we see kingdoms in turmoil, we know that's not going to change until you come. So, Lord, there's a sweetness tonight in, in knowing that, that we serve the King of Kings. But there's also the bitterness in knowing what is yet to come for this world. So we pray that you'd use us to reach people around us, that you'd use us to spread the gospel, that in our generation, in our day, that there'd be a great harvest of people, of souls for your kingdom. Help us to be about your business. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you saw questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.